Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now we better look at the business stories of the week and the weekend. I'm delighted to welcome to the programme Caroline Reedy. Uh, she's the uh, MD of the HR Suite. And Lorcan Allen is the business editor with the Business Post. You're both very welcome to the programme. Morning, Bobby. Morning, Bobby. Uh, good to see you. Have you both in studio, folks? And we'll start with you, Caroline. Front page of the Irish Times. Ministers in heated row over data centres. Tell us more. Um, I suppose the two key ministers here, Simon Coveney and Eamon Ryan, are battling their own portfolios. They both have opposing views. Um, obviously, Eamon Ryan is pushing the whole uh, carbon neutral and carbon zero scenario with these uh, data centres, which are really, really important for FDI and for our economy. And you've got Simon Coveney, who's basically saying we can't stop them and we can't put preconditions. Yeah. And I suppose ultimately they're really important for our tax returns and hugely important where we're promoting Ireland as a really important tech uh, sector scenario. But we've 80 plus at the moment in Ireland. We've a lot in for planning. We've a lot already being constructed. But now there is talk that Eamon Ryan is pushing strong that they can't come unless they've got a carbon neutral plan that goes with it. I don't know what you make of this, Lorcan, but uh, like if there's 82 centres that we have and there's planning for 40 more, this problem may not be a problem in terms of the, you know, alternative energy may be available by the time these 40 are built. Because all they're saying, all uh, Eamon Ryan is saying is make sure that uh, basically that you don't put pressure on the grid and that you you have direct access yeah. to other energy. It, it is a problem though in that currently there's a ban on new data centres in Ireland that's been in place for the last two years and it's because the electricity grid doesn't have the capacity to take any more um, but if there's as, 40 more to be built. But they, they may have planning, but a lot of them don't have grid connections. Sure. Offers, which is the key thing. It's about air grid rather than planning permission. Um, and uh, the, the system is not able to take a lot of these. And obviously, you know, the state's model is about foreign direct investment and attracting these data centres has been something that the IDA Ireland has gone after. Um, but the energy system hasn't been able to keep pace with the demand yeah. uh, that's been coming. And... Uh, so, like, there's at the minute there's a consultation on large energy users that's been worked through. Um, and large energy users is basically data centers, but it's also big pharmaceutical plants and Intel as well will be a, a large energy user. And right now, government doesn't have a policy for this. And um, Eamon Ryan is trying to say, well, any large energy user needs to use 100% renewable energy, but nobody can really claim that at the minute because yeah. renewable energy comes in and comes out. Um, so it's actually an impossible ask, and that's what I suppose Simon Coveney is arguing that. You can't put that precondition on them today because that won't be possible for probably a decade more when yeah. the wind comes. No, I, I fully accept your point that this is this is a movable. It's it's yeah. it's, it's it's still shifting here, and but I, I was actually surprised that so many had actually got planning. I didn't realise that there was almost half as many again that have planning, but you're right in saying that it's an air grid issue. Yeah, well, when you think about like, I mean, okay, so data centers that are here, they store our data, the the cloud, all of that, but like the next generation of data centers are for artificial intelligence. And that is, we've seen all these big companies, NVIDIA, Microsoft, how their valuations are soaring because of artificial intelligence. That's all built on data centers. You need computing power. And right now, from what I've heard from a lot of the data center industry is that Ireland is on a red list and we are being passed over for artificial intelligence investment 
because the country doesn't have the capacity to take new data yeah. centers. And obviously, Simon Coveney, as the Minister for Business, is very, very concerned about that and pushing back hard against yeah. him and Ryan. Okay. Um, Caroline, I don't know where you were yesterday, but there was a bit of snow around uh, the M50 and around Dublin, in fact. And it, it, it appears to have caught most of us by surprise. Absolutely. Yesterday morning I woke up and went to my Pilates class and by the time I came out of the Pilates class there was a, a big layer of snow uh, on the walk back home. But I, for a lot of people it was a winter wonderland and the kids were absolutely delighted to get a bonus Friday in bed. But I think the big challenge really was people were caught unawares. Disaster day for business. Absolutely. And commuters, normally you'd expect that if you know it's going to be a day like that, you'll give yourself extra time, you'll plan, you know, the grit will be on the roads, etc. I had friends coming up from Kerry and the train was delayed. I know a lot of people were late for basically everything yesterday and a lot of people didn't go shopping, etc, etc. So I think the big thing here is we're so used to Met Aaron being so predictable and erring on the side of caution normally and telling us it might be a little bit maybe worse than than it actually becomes in reality that this time we were all really shocked that this was such a big surprise hence people were unprepared. Yeah. Uh, Larkin's uh, snow surprise met Aaron got it wrong, did they? Well, they clearly did. I yeah. mean, I, I, like Caroline, I had a, an engagement at half eight on Friday morning and I checked the weather beforehand uh, the night before at about 11 o'clock and it was saying rain. And when I woke up to go yeah. into the city, uh, I couldn't believe the snow and I had to cancel the meeting in the end because I was, I was never going to make it on time. Um, as Caroline rightly pointed out, I think we're just so used to Met Aaron always being, they're one of the most efficient or effective, you know, agencies in the country. And the fact that they got it wrong, um, people are giving out. I see James Gagan, the, the Dublin Bay councillor, saying that, um, you know, criticising them for getting it wrong. But um, yeah, it didn't. It certainly didn't help. I mean, it wasn't I saw great. a good uh, joke yesterday about uh, spotted earlier on the M50, and it was a, a polar bear looking into a car. Very good. Very good. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, you know, we're all allowed to get it wrong now and again, so it's hardly the crime of the century, as we say. And it's so, a beautiful morning, I think, yeah. out there this morning. For and the they bonus. told us tomorrow's going to be lovely, so we'll go. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll fall back in love with with Met Aaron. And uh, now, uh, interesting business story: Irish arm of M&S uh, pays out a dividend of 100 million as revenues rise to 3.63 million. Caroline, I suppose I was surprised to read this. Firstly, um, it's definitely shown that M&S have done a lot of strategic and refocusing on their structures and their cost of financing. And we know that the cost savings, I suppose, that they've undertaken have paid off. They also have done strategic partnerships with, for example, Apple Green in October 22, which, again, these accounts are showing early days um, pay off in that regard. They're also, I suppose, planning closing stores, etc. Interestingly, I suppose their um, staff numbers have barely changed but the cost of wages are about the same so again I think their cost management it's, it's showing that they're really getting you know on top yeah. of that and the restructuring is growing their profits but overall really good news for them because even though what was interesting is their online sales are down 8% their revenues are up 11 million and you know their their operating profit is up 31% yeah. to 1 million so from the perspective of an Irish arm of this company, 
the Brexit issues they've had to challenge, etc. It shows really good management of a company in with a lot of, I suppose, change impacts. Yeah, uh, and I really feared for this company yeah, post Brexit because they, I think, they had to lose about three hundred of their eight hundred lines. Mm-hmm. They had major supply issues, um, and you know, when 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 you think of what was special about Marks was the fact that they had things that no one else had. Uh, regardless of where it came from, and that was their differentiator. But it also tells me that the new model is, you know, using the Apple Green Channel. You know, they're not probably involved in the bricks and mortar on those sites. Absolutely, and it's a way of getting their supplies to the consumer in a different kind of way. What did you think, Larkin? Yeah, I think that could be actually the the saviour of the business in the long run because we've seen the success of the the forecourt industry in Ireland. I mean, yeah. hugely popular with consumers. I think one thing that's interesting to note on it is how much their business has probably been supported by the COVID pandemic, uh, which was hugely beneficial for retailers. I mean, the, the grocery market in Ireland went from about 9 billion a year to 14 billion a yeah. year and has actually stayed at quite a high level People are seem to be spending more money on groceries. So yeah. that, that probably helped prop up Marks and Spencer's business in Ireland. At and the as time. Caroline pointed out, these are 2022 figures. Yeah, so yeah. 2023 has seen a normalisation of the retail market as people are going back out eating in restaurants a lot more again. So it, maybe this time next year, it'll be interesting to see how their 2023 financial... Yeah, no, and, and I think as well, it was always hard to... To, to sort of separate out the Irish figures. Same with, with uh, Tesco on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it's, it's difficult to extract actually what is happening in Ireland versus the mothership mm-hmm. uh, that they have in the UK. Okay. Um, I don't know if you drive an EV, Caroline, but uh, EV sales lose their spark. Uh, a slash subsidy is blamed for the downturn. Yeah, it's Tell us more. really worrying, I suppose, overall, but not overly surprising. Um, I suppose overall car sales are up 25%, but the EV sales are down 15.5% versus February last year. So we can see that if you're to do a breakdown on the percentages, people are buying new cars. Petrol is number one at 33%, diesel 24 hybrid 22 and electric only 12 And I suppose there there's lots of factors being blamed for this. But obviously, from a government perspective, they've a big pressure to try and get these numbers better. But a lot of people are blaming that the incentives that were there, the grant has been slashed by 1500 uh, euro, which is a lot. There's a reduce in tolls, etc. And I suppose overall, the recharging in infrastructure isn't giving people the confidence that it should. And a lot of maybe the early EV adopters have basically bought the EV car, but the general Joe Soap public of the mainstream motorist are not giving the the full vote of confidence. And I suppose it's still a costly buy. The technology is uncertain. The battery reliability, the resale value, etc. There's lots of factors, but a lot of people are, we're seeing from the figures, going hybrid because they want to do the right thing, but they're not fully bought into the electric yet. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big worry for the government with the stats that they need to achieve. Well, as somebody who owns a 2019 fully electric car, I can tell you it's worth a fraction of what I paid for it. And yeah. the depreciation is a major issue. Right. Yeah, uh, and, and that's interesting because, I mean, the obviously new EV sales are important, but, I mean, we need to get to the stage where we're four or five years down the line where there's actually a sizable second-hand market that, that drives and more. I think that's EV. where the problem is. That's the problem. If there's yeah. not new EVs being bought today, that won't create the market for the second-hand market down the line that's going to, that has... 
you know, more and more drivers than are, you know, most drivers buy a second-hand car rather yeah. than a brand new car. Um, I think, like, the subsidy thing is very interesting. The government were talking this week about uh, how there's over a gigawatt of solar panels now on roofs across Ireland. But that's a subsidy that's also been cut as well because I suppose demand is going up, so they're cutting the subsidies. And it's just be careful on cutting subsidies. That, yeah, you know, the good it's also probably a huge worry for the government if we look at, you know, motor taxation and, you know, uh, VAT and uh, duty on fuel. Like, if that's to be, re- that has to be replaced by something else. Mm-hmm. In other words, that, you know, that revenue that they currently enjoy uh, is not being made up anywhere close. 2.5 billion, yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. So, like, that's that's a, uh, the elephant in the room also. So Yeah, those taxes will have to be recouped in some shape or form. Of and, I mean, if everybody moves to EVs, yeah. the of obvious answer is that EV drivers will be paying yeah, taxes. Yeah, so, so um, uh, Irish motorists, the editorial in the Irish Times uh, concludes, Irish motorists are willing to join the journey to electric but need reassurance, reassurances before they abandon uh, combustion en- engines entirely. So more to run on this story. Now, I don't know about you, Caroline, but I was waiting for the phone to ring for the RTE job and nobody rang me. I would have done it for half the 31 grand. Give me 10 grand and I'd go in there and sort the place out. Be careful <laughs> what you wish for, Bobby. I'd say so, your phone will be ringing before the day's out. So board jobs are not an easy gig, according to Mick Clifford uh, in his podcast and in the Irish Examiner today. But he's so right. Like, if you look at, stand back from the whole RTE chair thing and say that the probably the most important role in the organisation or in certainly influential is a part-time gig, number one. Secondly, it's paid 31000 when there seems to be money just to do anything in RTE except pay the chair properly. Who would want the gig? Uh, you, you, you go in, you're paid uh, 31k. It's meant to be a part-time gig. You're working probably 24 hours, 24-7 as, yeah. as, as and. And and you your reputation then can be absolutely vilified publicly. Yeah. Who would want it? Yeah, I think that uh, Mick Clifford has done a really good job in this article in today's Examiner to really reflect the fact that look at the end of the day, you're right. This is such a high profile job. It's not just the responsibility of the fiduciary duties that go with it. It's the profile. It's your reputation. But the body of work that needs to be done here. You've such a big wave of turning a tide. And we all know that, I mean, anybody who takes this job, you know, they're going to be working really hard for their 31,000. And most people, let's be honest, that take job positions like this. First of all, I've done the IOD course on, you know, company directorship, etc. Most people take it so responsibly now that they go, they do the training, etc. Because they realise the weight of responsibility it's on huge. the shoulders of any director, but particularly the chair. But also, I suppose, there's talk of Paul Reid, there's talk of, you know, other high profile people. But for them to put their reputation on the line and take the risk that is involved in such a big body of work. And let's be honest, we know so much now about all the different controversies that have gone on with RT. But until you're actually sitting around the board room table, of which at the moment of the 12 key positions, there's only seven filled, there's five vacant. They barely barely have a quorum. quorum, Exactly. So it's a worrying job and I wish the best of luck to the person who takes it because we definitely need somebody very capable in that role. I'd say this should be a full-time job and it should be paid 150 grand a year. 
Well, if you look at how, Bobby, how um, corporates value their board members and things like that. So like Bank of Ireland had their results this week. Their their board uh, chair, Patrick Kennedy, has paid almost 400,000 euros a year to be the chair. And obviously, Bank of Ireland is a much larger organisation than RTE. But I mean, the sum of money reflects how much importance and weight that they give to the position of being chair. People think, uh, you know, when it, oh, you've got a board position that it's this kind of handy number where you rock up for six meetings a year and you get a fee for it. Yeah. Any board members I know, like, I mean, there's an incredible amount of work that goes Absolutely into it. And when it's done properly. And it, OK, if you're walking in to join a functioning board and a functioning company, maybe the workload is less. But whoever takes on the RT job has an incredible, it is a full time job what's required over the next year. It is going to demand, I spoke to someone recently who was on a board and there was some challenges around the board and they said they're an executive in a company full time. And they said the board thing took up more time than their running of their own business, yeah. uh, and which they were doing for free uh, because it was a charity board. And, and so, you know, we, we kind of underestimate sometimes how difficult these is these things are. Plus as well, you know, the challenges at RT require someone with very specialist skills, I think, to come in and chair that board because it's a restructuring reorganization that needs yeah. to happen. And people with those skills they have a value and we need to reward them for... Well, we'll see what happens. It's an interesting space and well worth a read. Uh, board jobs are not an easy gig from Mick, Mick Clifford. Um, I don't know if you got to Las Vegas to see you too, Caroline, but the Ronan McGreevy has an interesting piece the, behind the financial curtain uh, as U2's Las Vegas residency draws to a close and he shares the numbers which are... Again, quite eye-watering. Absolutely. I wish I did, Bobby. It sounds amazing. And I know lots of people who said it was absolutely one of those life experiences. But when we read it, I think there's a few key things in the article um, by Ronan McGreevy. And one is that each of the U2 band members made between 1 million and 1.3 million per gig. So that was definitely worth their while. Uh, Not a mind the amazing experience that it was. But I thought was also really interesting, you know, in the story was that it was an Irish American businessman, James Dolan, who owns Madison Square Garden, that actually uh, initiated the sphere. 2.1 billion. A serious Still investment. Still less than the children's hospital, mind. Yeah. 2.1 billion, and I'd say that was an overspend. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't meant to spend that amount on it. Yeah, six years of work um, yeah. involved. But ultimately, I think the ticket price is obviously 230 quid minimum for the U2 experience. But for a lot of people, they had the COVID money saved and this was one of the things on their bucket list. And you can see the diversity of people who made this one of the experiences. And nobody's given out about the 250 euros as a, as a ticket price. No, and ticket The experience prices, seems to be well worth Yeah, and ticket prices in general now, no matter whether the concert is in Las Vegas or it's in Ireland, ticket prices have gone up and people are willing to pay for amazing experiences we're finding and this being one of the I think standout ones Yeah Amazing isn't it Larkin 40 shows 700,000 tickets generating 75 million in revenue Yeah <clears throat> Incredible and of that 75 million I mean as, as Ronan has worked out there I mean you two uh, potentially each of them have probably taken away maybe 40 million you know from, from, from themselves but it's a yeah a good friend of mine went to it and, and said it was an incredible experience yeah. I think that speaks to the way consumers are today that it's it's not material wealth they're actually after it's experiences that they want to spend their money on um, and you know you rightly say about the ticket price I mean you know Bruce Springsteen in, in Dublin next year how much is the ticket to that going to be probably but close to it's that it's probably going to be very close yeah. to that so I mean again I think the the Las Vegas Fair as well it shows 
American, they're all, the Americans are such cutting edge when it comes to tourism experience. Uh, they always lead the way on these sort of innovations and they can attract people from all over the world to come and, and see these shows. Well, I'm glad I got my ACDC tickets uh, for later in the summer. So I did a, too, so, I did too. So there we go now, a very serious one to, to end on. Man 70 holds record after eating 34,000 Big Macs. I bet you weren't thinking about him at your Pilates class yesterday, Carla. Definitely not. Like, why would you do it to yourself? This poor <laughs> devil, he's in his 70s and he is after eating 34,000 Big Macs and he's now trying to cut down to two burgers a day and he's skipping the fries with his meals and he's walking six miles a day. But I suppose if you really want to go down in history and have a legacy, this is definitely one that is unique and at least he can be assured that not too many more people are going to try. But I was also interested to know, how did he keep the, the record? How is that going to be validated? Because well, I the think, Guinness Book of Records are usually quite strict on that. Yeah, I think Larkin, he kept every receipt that he ever had from buying a Big Mac. He also kept the containers yeah. and at one stage he was eating nine of them a day. No. Nine a day. Dan, Dan <laughs> Gorsk is his name. Um, some people collect stamps. This guy collected <laughs> McDonald's boxes and kept them forever and still has them saved away. I love. The, I wonder what he looks like. I'd, hate, no to to I'd hate to go to his house. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do wonder what he's... I do, my favourite line in all of this is that his mother had tried to get him to wean back off the amount of Big Macs and even she had to say, look, if you're not dead by now, you may as well keep ads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, thanks for a great review of the papers. Uh, Lorcan Allen, Caroline Reedy, um, really appreciate you coming in and for your, your analysis of the stories. Thanks a million. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.